different people with the same background can identify differently and choose which parts of their identity are going to be the ones that they take real ownership of. Aaron Berkowitz back here with the Jewish Literary Journal and Jill Santopolo, who is the New York Times and internationally bestselling author of The Light We Lost, More Than Words, Everything After, and the upcoming Stars in an Italian Sky. Her books have been translated into 35 languages, and The Light We Lost, which was a Reese Witherspoon book club pick, was also optioned for film. Welcome, Jill. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So, my pleasure. Uh, first question is, why this book at this time? Why Stars in Italian Sky? Yes. So, um, so this was a book I started writing during the pandemic. Um, my husband and I are both uh, have one Jewish parent and one Italian Catholic par parent. And we had gone uh, to Italy on our honeymoon uh, in the summer of 2019. And I was finishing up writing my previous book, uh, Everything After, up until literally like the month that uh, everything was under lockdown in, in, um, in New York and DC where we were going back and forth. And I wanted to start a new book and I wanted to escape the world we were living in. Um, so I was thinking about all of the experiences we had had in Italy and we had spent a lot of time with Andrew's family. Andrew's my husband, sorry. Um, and they are um, descended from nobility. One of his cousins, is, or their family were was the Marchese of Rocca di Valdi and the Count of Saluzzo. And um, I, we'd had a long conversation about nobility in Italy and how in 1946, there was this institutional referendum and the country voted. It was the very first time women could vote in Italy, which was very cool. And the country voted basically to end the monarchy and with it, uh, the nobility. And everyone who was part of the nobility's lives changed dramatically. And I just thought how interesting it must have been to be living in those times and to expect your life to go one way. And then all of a sudden your life was going an entirely different way through, you know, nothing you did or didn't do just because there was this vote and that's what happened. And um, as we were living through the pandemic, as I said, I wanted to sort of escape our reality and uh, try on another reality. And also I was thinking about the fact that all of us, our lives kind of changed dramatically uh, because of things out of our own control. Um, so it just seemed like the kind, the, the kind of book I wanted to be writing at that time. And because I like playing with time and I like families and I like generations and I like seeing how the past affects the future. Um, I decided I wanted one part of the story to take place in 1946 in Italy, right around the institutional referendum. And then I wanted another part of the story to take place in New York City in 2017, pre-pandemic. Um, and, and be the, the later generations of that same family so that you could sort of see how things changed, how things didn't change, how the past affected the future in, in these families. Um, so I guess that's why I wrote this book at this particular time. It sort of felt, it felt like um, 
the kind of book I needed to write while we weren't able to go anywhere or do pretty much anything. Sure. I mean, I think it's also interesting that you have complementary storylines. Talk to me about like, is it writing one storyline incomplete and then you go to the second storyline? Is it back and forth? Do the details change depending on how it's sort of going in a different timeline? You know, what's so interesting is I wrote it going back and forth. So I was like, all right, I want to make sure like this thing happened in the past section. So now in this next present section, I want to bring that, you know, piece of jewelry or that painting or that whatever it is so that like you can sort of see how the past is still present. But then when I revised it, I actually pulled the entire book apart and I did and I revised the entire historical piece as a unit and I revised the entire present piece as a unit and then I put them back together again and then revised the whole thing as a as a like complete work. Um, and it was it was really interesting because there were definitely things where I was like, if, if I read this as one story without the pieces in between, it actually is missing things. Um, so I added a lot in in both sections um, to sort of deepen it and and make it feel a little more connected um, in, in and of its own self before putting it back together. Yeah, it's interesting to think around sort of when we're when we're competing, not competing, but having two different stories, how one you know, a word sometimes translates across, but then you sort of lose the thread within the original story to a degree, I would imagine. Um, something you brought up was sort of uh, a mixed family um, and sort of this is mixing times. And I guess uh, along the lines of the nobility sort of issue, like how things shift or identities kind of change. How did that sort of interplay with the characters in, in the book? So, um so a sort of bit more about my biography and my husband's biography is that, so his family was part of, of the nobility. My family on the Italian side um, were shoemakers from Southern Italy, so not in the same circles. So one of the things that I thought about while we were there was how our relationship likely wouldn't have happened if we were both sort of members of our family back then. Like they just wouldn't have been traveling in the same circles unless, you know, the noble went to the shoemaker, right, to have their shoes made or something. Um, so, so I kind of was was imagining like what what that would be like if it were the two of us, but we were in our families in 1946 in Italy. Um, so that that sort of um, mixing, you know, I think was was really interesting and um I actually write in a previous book that I wrote in um, more than words I pulled a lot on sort of feeling like I'm from a mixed family and and the two main characters in that book um have parents from different places and um sort of their their they they really talk about their identity and whether they feel like more one thing or more another thing, or whether you can be a chameleon or whether you feel like nothing at all because you know you don't you don't feel whole of anything. Um, so that's sort of the book where I really I really explored that identity. Um, and you know, my husband and I have talked a lot about it too, and I think we both feel differently and and I think, you know, based on, I guess our our personalities or how we were raised or or you know how our 
our parents sort of uh, navigated that. But I also think in this book you have, I mean, you have also distinct times and places so that you're mixing also between, you know, it's not just characters that are mixing or, you know, uh, a narrative around characters, also around place and time. So that, that might, did when you're thinking of like 1946 Italy, obviously you were in Italy, but how much research do you have to do to sort of capture a, a new country in a different time? I did quite a bit. Um, and then I had a phenomenal Italian editor who helped me out uh, a lot as well. But I spoke to a bunch of people whose um, whose parents were alive in, in Italy at that time. And sort of they gave me some details on what their lives were like, what what it was like there. Then I read a bunch of books. Um, I watched a bunch of videos. There are um, some some really cool like history professors in Italy who make videos about what Italy was like at different time periods. So I watched a bunch of those and um, I reached out to one of them and I was like, hey, I'm writing a book about Italy. Is there any chance you could answer some questions for me? And she was like, yeah, absolutely. Um, so, so I spoke to her a bit and then I did a lot of Google searching and you know, looking for reliable sources online, of course. But like I would come up to a question where I was like, was makeup readily available in 1946 in Italy with all of the sort of wartime supply chain issues? Um, and the answer was not really. Um, so then I was like, well, what did women do instead? And then I, I went down an entire rabbit hole of, you know, how women made their own makeup um, during wartime, you know, during World War II. So, so I had a lot of fun kind of coming up with like, you know, in the middle of writing, being like, wait, I have this question. Can I, can I find the answer to this? And then, you know, three hours later, I could write my one sentence, but I now know a lot more about, you know, it's, it's so random topic. I was working on uh, a book and I was writing about medicine. And then I realized I was using modern medicine as like a reference point. And it was like, this was 1950, whatever. And it was like, oh, they don't That's have these different. machines. They don't have these tests. And what they would be talking about would be a completely different content. And you have to like remind yourself that um, there's a lot of moving parts to every little thing that somebody would do 20 years ago, 30 yeah. years, ago, 100 years ago, um, that you sort of have to research. Uh, I think people, you know, when I originally, you know, you start fiction, you're like, oh, I'll just write a story and it go, and then you're like in a time and place and you're like, oh, I can't just make it up. That doesn't make, you know, it wouldn't work. It wouldn't. No, absolutely. I mean, one of the main characters in the past story is the daughter of a tailor and she herself is also a tailor and she designs clothing. And I was like, all right, here we go, deep dive into, you know, styles of 1946, particularly in Italy and, and around the world. And, you know, that was really interesting to learn about too, because I was like, all right, she has to be kind of cool, you know, because she's designing the clothes, she has to be at the forefront of style. So what magazines would she read? What magazines were available? What magazines were still being printed? So. Do you speak Italian? A bit. A bit. Um, so I'm definitely not fluent, but enough that I could get through a book, you know, or get through a, a paper if I needed to to get some information from it. I was going to say, if you're trying to get the, because also like the other thing with history is you can always find sort of the, let's say, American perspective, but that if you're trying to get the other side, you have to, you know, oftentimes that involves other languages or uh, sort yeah. of other resources that perhaps are less accessible to people who don't speak that language. So it's a very interesting thing to think of historical fiction um, as sort of an act of research. I feel like that's not often talked about. 
Yeah, but it fully is. I mean, if you want it to feel authentic, right? If you want someone who lived during that time to pick it up. I also, um, my grandmother, not my Italian grandmother, but um, my my other grandmother, she is still around and she was around then. So she's 91 now. And um, I called her and I was like, Graham, what did people do if they wanted to put their hair in a ponytail? Like, were there hair elastics? What did you do? She was like, I think we used rubber bands and then tied ribbons around them. And I was like, all right, that's helpful. Thank you. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I once had a writing uh, mentor be like, that's the job is to like figure out the little detail. That little detail is really what what will sell the overall uh, sort of uh, reliability or truthfulness of of the story. Yeah, no, absolutely. I know this is uh, your fourth book. Um, something that comes up a lot with our readers is sort of the publishing process. Um, can you walk me through that? Is it you you have an agent, I assume, and you sort of pitch them a book, you write the book, then you pitch Like, how does that sort of work? So I guess the first book is different than the fourth book. Um, I think for this book, I have an editor who I adore. Her name is Tara Singh Carlson. She works at Putnam. And, you know, I wanted... I was hoping that she would want this book too. So I came up with um, a concept. I wrote, I think about maybe 50 pages or so. And I gave them to my agent who gave me notes and I adjusted the pages and then sent those pages to Tara. And I was like, all right, this is the beginning. And then also here's a summary, a synopsis of where this whole thing is going. Um, you know, are you interested? So I think it was from those 50 pages and then a detailed, um, summary of the rest of the book that then she agreed to take on the project. And then um, I'm a little bit, I guess, of a slowish writer. Some people, I guess some people are slower than me. Some people are faster, but um, it took me about almost, not quite two years, almost two years um, to finish the book. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I think people just Oftentimes the uh, the publishing world seems very, the writing process people sort of understand, but the, the publishing world seems very elusive for a lot of people, at least as I speak to them or hear from them. Um, that's often sort of like, oh, you know, the agenting and then, you know, how do you sort of get from point A to point B? Um, so it's interesting, yeah. you know, uh, evolves over time. Yeah. I mean, for the first book I wrote, for The Light We Lost, I wrote the entire book first um, and then revised it a bunch of times with my agent before she went out with it. Yeah, that's interesting. I know also you, you write children's literature. How, do, how does that sort of, I think people often see the distinction like, oh, I write adult uh, work or I write children work, you know, and, and yeah. how do you sort of get between those two? So after my first adult book, I, I've put a pause on the children's writing um, just because I don't have the time, like I said before, a little slow. Um, so, so I haven't been doing both at the same time in a while, but um, for that first adult book, I was finishing up a children's series that, um, that I was doing with Simon & Schuster. Uh, it was an intellectual property deal. So they came up with the idea and they hired me to be the pen, um, which is a lot of fun. It's like, it's like, you know, someone gives you a cool writing assignment and then you get to play inside it. Um, so I was writing that, the last couple books of the, that series while I was working on the adult book. Um, and you know, what's interesting is I feel like there's a huge similarity, at least for me in process in that I, um, I try to sort of inhabit the character in a way so that 
if I'm writing from the point of view of a 10 year old, what I'm thinking about are words I would have used as, or a contemporary 10 year old would use now, or you know, experiences you have up until you're about 10 and what you would pull from as like an image or an example or a comparison or how you would do something or say something up until you were 10. And then when I was writing from the perspective of, of a 35 year old, or actually I think the first book, um, uh, she's 33, but I was like, all right, what language, what experiences, what you know, images, what metaphors, what would she say? How would she respond to this kind of a situation? So like, it's, I, I did a whole bunch of theater when I was uh, in up through college, a little bit after. Um, and I think the character development of, you know, creating a character for a show is very similar to creating a character in fiction and creating a narrative voice and sort of saying, all right, this is the backstory. This is this person's backstory. This is the education they have. This is the, you know, town they live in. This is where they grew up. Like, what would they say? How would they say this? How would they respond to this? And yeah, I think that's the same for children and adults. Yeah. It's interesting. I, you know, that's the classic advice is to like write the biography. Of, mm -hmm. I don't know, I've always had personal trouble with that when I'm working on things. I kind of let the story dictate probably more than I should. I don't know. I, I think I have a general outline of character, but then maybe, maybe, I don't know, maybe the re does the research like affect the way you see the character, um, you know, for, except for uh, your latest book, sort of as you're doing the research, you shift the character sort of core. There's a core that always stays true and then certain detail shift, but, but the core stays the same. I think, you know, like if I, so I knew when I was writing, so the two characters, um, Vincenzo and Giovanna are the, are the, uh, 1946 characters and I knew Vincenzo grew up in a winery like you know that his father made wine I knew that you know this was who, he had this specific story for for uh his experience during World War II I knew that his brother died in the war I like I knew that he was an artist um I knew that you know his family felt really strongly about the referendum, you know, the nobility sort of staying around after the referendum and that that was important to them. You know, I and and sort of coming up with all of those, all of that, like made me understand how he would respond to a situation I put him in. So I always feel like once like character builds plot for me in that like, because I've created this character, the story is shaped this way because of this person who I created would have this response. Yeah. I guess that's sort of, you know, that's what would change uh, any story, right? Is at the end of the day, World War II happened to a lot of people, but what shifts is of course the experience of that person and therefore, and then how they react. I guess that's, that would be uh, the same. Yeah. Um, and I I did a lot of research because I, I hadn't known a ton about what happened to Jewish Italians. Um, and so I did a ton of research on that and I, I you know, figured out how I could work that in and how I could um, just sort of weave a tapestry of what it was like back then, you know, for an entire community to experience war and how they all experienced it slightly differently. You know, some, the people who stayed in Genoa were different than the people who went to the country or the people who, you know, decided to 
work, you know, to, to fight with the partisans were different than the people who were fighting, you know, with the Italian army, or there were people who went into the Italian army and then, you know, at a certain point shifted their, their allegiance to the partisans. So. Yeah. I mean, the choices that the, it's interesting also like post post-war how the different Jews sort of uh, matched up their stories with each other and, and sort of created hierarchy based on like, Oh, I experienced this or you experience, you know, and how it's a very interesting sort of, um, process around trauma and experience as to like how your choices within those would you would sort of see yourself as a, a positive or negative or, or sort of higher or lower in the social order um and that's interesting i guess with the nobility thing again like how much do we get to dictate within the context or versus how much is decided for us by the context yeah 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 so I th is there another book on the way or or you take a break mm -hmm. how does that sort of work for there's you? there's always another book on the way right um yeah i i started writing i started writing a book that's been shifting a lot um i i wanted to do a kind of time jump again because i had a lot of fun with that and i initially was thinking like maybe i would do it to like both in new york city but two different time periods in new york city but then the concept i came up with it like wasn't really working right so I was like, well, maybe I'll go back to Italy. That was fun. Um, so actually in this book, I think it's actually the very first time I've ever written characters who are, um, their father is Jewish and their mother is Italian in this book. Um, and my family is actually swapped, but it's, so I've, I've sort of been having fun kind of using the details of, of that experience. Um, in this and and this is also the first book I've written uh about three sisters and I have two sisters so I feel like I've been pulling some fun stuff yeah. though the rest of the story I mean the characters aren't us and have all have very different jobs and different life experiences but but yeah it's a very hard line you know a very hard line to sort of separate art from artists let's say in this case you know where how much do you put yourself within the work versus how much you know is is yeah. constructed I think it's especially but, if people read your work that they can see themselves and they're like, oh, how much are you are you taking of me and putting uh, in here? Yeah, and yeah. And I always say like, it's it, I never take any one human, you know, but I would definitely, and my characters don't necessarily think or feel about a situation the way I think or feel about it, even if we have the same experience. Um, but there are definitely like details that I think, um, I pull from real life just to, so that things feel authentic. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. The first time I did something and my wife saw herself, she was like, what, what's this? And I was like, no, no, it's not you. It's, it's kind of like you, you know, it's, you have to sort of uh, make that very clear. I remember learning that concept, you know, somewhere in my MFA, like, you know, how to really separate the, uh, the speaker from the poet. And that was like a big yeah. emphasis of like, especially when you're critiquing somebody else's work or you're reading somebody else in the class, you know, in, in the workshops work and you're, you have to separate who who's writing it and and the what's on the page. Yeah, I you know for my first book, The Light We Lost, um, the I also read the audiobook. So anyone who comes and hears me talk and has listened to the audiobook is always like, "Oh my God, you're Lucy!" And then I think there's something that like clicks where they're like, "Wait, how much is she Lucy?" And you know, people were like, "So how are your kids?" and and Lucy has two kids and I have one kid. So it's, it's sort of like, um, 
and I didn't have any kids when I wrote about Lucy. So, so I feel like there's really a conflation that happens, particularly because of the audiobook. That is, that is something I would not have thought. But yeah, I guess I may, I mean, it makes sense. It's just that is super interesting that you impose what you're hearing. Uh, it's like that movie Her, where uh, part of the what worked was that it was Scarlett Johansson's voice that mm-hmm. uh, Joaquin Phoenix was listening to the whole time. I think that, that was, you know, if it's a somebody's voice that you sort of recognize, you you impose a character on that um, something human about. You hear somebody, and then you all you build character from there as well. It's like Llama Llama's mom in the Llama Llama cartoon is Jennifer Garner. Now you know who old the kid is. Um, so when I always like you see the llama llama mom but you think jennifer garner because you hear her voice yeah it's interesting how we how we sort of um have disparate parts of the brain working at the same time um and and the confusion or sort of i guess it, it it elicits excitement in in the readers when they sort of figure that their character comes to life a little bit yeah that's cool well it sounds like a really uh interesting book um I'm curious as to if it ends up in New York or or sort of Italy, but I do think that the the mixing of identity again across time would be is an interesting sort of uh, you know concept again because of the multifactorial sort of way of approaching identity that must be uh, born of such a thing. Um, yeah, I mean, I think identity identity is is a huge theme for me in in general, but I think particularly in the book that I'm working on right now, um, and and sort of how different different people with the same background can identify differently um, and choose which parts of their identity are going to be the ones that they take real ownership of. Yeah. I guess it's, it's sort of an interesting comment on sort of marrying from uh, your own tribe or so to speak, right? That at the end of the day, there is no such thing. Two people with a similar background can have very completely different uh, sort of philosophies around that background and and what they choose again to, to do. Um, that it's a much more complex thing than just sort of looking at the page as to where we match up kind of. Yeah. Do you, do you think of yourself as like a, a romance writer or, do, or I know you obviously you're doing a lot with relationships and things or do you sort of find yourself in a different genre? Do you not like that categorization? Um, I, you know, I don't mind that categorization if it helps people who would like my book find my book. Um, but I think that romance novels tend to have tropes that my books don't. Um, I don't always have a happily, happily ever after. Um, and I think more what I write about is love in all its forms. Um, you know, romantic love, of course, but also familial love, you know, siblings, parents, children, the love that that friends share, um, grandparents and grandchildren. I write a lot about, and and I think, I think to me at least, love is one of those common denominators that humanity, like anyone who is part of humanity, can relate to. And you know, when when the light we lost was was first going. Um, was first going out into the world and it started getting sold in a whole bunch of different countries. And I would get letters from the different publishers who wanted to publish the book. And, um, you know, they would all say things like, this book made me remember my own first love or 
I also lost somebody that I loved and, and this reminded me of that, or, you know, just sort of various iterations of like, I saw myself in love, in the love that you wrote about. And it was kind of amazing to me because I felt like these were people who were from all different countries, grew up speaking all different languages, practicing different religions with, you know, different backgrounds, but they all connected to love. They all connected to loss. And like that, that those feelings are, are so universal and are just bigger than, than any one group of people. And, you know, that's, that's something that I thought was, was really, um, really powerful. And it's, it's definitely something that I keep coming back to just how we all love. That's a, a better than I could say it, I'm sure. But I, yeah, I do appreciate that, that the, the distinction between, um, you know, sort of like the Shakespearean comedy aspect of romance, and then versus like a, a more realistic uh, appreciation of, of love itself. Um, and I'm, I'm sure we have that to look forward to in, in the new book. As, as we wrap up, where can people find uh, you and, and your work if they're interested? Um, so you can find me. My website is jillsantapolo.com. And I often hang out on Instagram at jillsantapolo. Um, I do have Twitter. I never use it. Um, and I have a Facebook page that I use a little bit more, Jill Santapolo author. You can find me there. Um, there's also an events page right now on my website because I'm going on the road because uh, Stars in Italian Sky is coming out on the 28th of February and I will be in DC, New York, South Carolina, a few different places in Florida, Pennsylvania, um, and doing a couple of virtual events. So if you're interested in hearing more, you can find my uh, event schedule there. And the book should be available wherever books are sold. Well, thank you so much for coming on uh, and taking time out of your schedule to be with us. I really, I really appreciate it. Um, and good luck with, with the book. Thank you so much. Uh, it was really fun to talk to you. Thank you for joining me in this episode of Exegesis. If you enjoyed what you heard, please feel free to rate, share, and subscribe to the podcast. You can also support the JLJ on Patreon or PayPal with the links provided in the show notes. See you next time.